If you have followed any of the world news over the last couple of weeks, you know that Monday, the ever given this 1,300 foot, 220,000 ton cargo ship that had been stuck in the Suez Canal was finally released. It's amazing when we think about this uh, ship being stuck in the Suez Canal and some 400 ships waiting behind it to get through the Suez Canal and everything just seemed to bottleneck and close all the commercial uh, trade and cargo ships down for a long period of time. But as I look over the last year, I have found that many people have felt like they have been stuck. They have been stuck, isolated at home, and separated from their friends, and life has been anything but normal, and they got kind of just down and a little just discouraged through this whole process, and they felt like they were stuck. I've run across many people who in their spiritual life have felt like they have been stuck. Like, I, I, I want to grow closer to God, but I just kind of feel like I, I don't know what that next move is. Or I've tried to pray, and I've tried to read my Bible a little bit more, but I still feel like I'm just stuck. Well, it took a lot of people and a lot of work to get the ever-given finally unstuck. Can I tell you today, there is one person, no matter what's going on in your life, whether there's relational challenges or whether there is transitional times that you're facing or maybe spiritually you do kind of feel like I'm stuck and I don't know what to do. There's one person who can get you unstuck and his name is Jesus and the hope of the message of the cross and the resurrection truly can change everything. That's what Easter is all about. It is about how Jesus has come to change us, to transform us, to allow us to have an abundant life that's filled with purpose and filled with passion. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up and think about really what Easter really means. What is the message of Easter? Colossians chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse number 13. And read down through verse number 15. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bible, I encourage you to grab that. Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and I I pray, God, that you would just, through the work of your spirit, do uh, a a work in touching our hearts today. God, for for those who desperately need to hear from you today, Lord, give them ears to hear and a heart that receives the truth that you have for us. In your name, amen. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 16, it says that all things were made through Jesus and all things were made 
for him. That we were made through him and that we were made for him. That means that I don't think that you were here, are here today by random chance. There are some today that would, that would espouse the belief that, that you're just a, a, a random chance as two people came together and, and you being here is just all a big coincidence. And yet, as we look at Colossians 1.16, that all things were made through him and for him, I want to tell you today, I think you're here because of divine providence. I think that you are here because God knew that you uh, were going to be here at this time, and he was the one who ordered for you to be here at this time. God knew who your parents were going to be. He knew when you were going to be born, and he ordered all of this together so that you're here at this time, made through him and ultimately made for Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the great writer of the Chronicles of Narnia and those kinds of things, said said this. He said, basically, there's only two kinds of people in the world. He said, there are those who look to God and say, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right, then have it your way. The the picture is, is that if you're here through him and for him, then the truth is, is that it doesn't start with me trying to find out this purpose of who I am and dig into my heart and trying to, to revive a dream or pull something out. Instead, we start with God. I'm here through him and for him. And so I look and I say, God, why am I here? And what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? And the truth is, is that God wants you to walk in a relationship with him. He not only wants you to walk in a relationship with him, he has paved the way so that you could experience a personal, living, loving relationship with him every day of your life and all through eternity. It's interesting that some say, man, I don't want to figure God into the equation of my life at all. I want to do what I want. I want to, I just want to live my life. And, And then God says, all right, then have it your way. But the truth is, is that we may get to choose whether we have God in our life or not, but we don't get to choose the consequences. Because if we choose to live without him on earth, then we choose to live without him for eternity. But you were created through him and for him, and he paved the way so that you could have a relationship with him. That relationship comes through Jesus. The Bible tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in Colossians chapter 2, we get the picture of how we can come into that relationship with God through Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a relationship with God through Jesus? And what did Jesus do that was so significant that could usher me into the family of God and into a relationship with God in a way that I couldn't do it on my own. Well, as we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, it really means three things that we're going to look at today. And I kind of put them in the personal because I, I, I look at the reason for Easter and I think, man, this is really why, why I, I want to come to understand the truth I want to understand about God's word and I want to share The death and resurrection of Jesus means this. First off, that I can be totally forgiven of all of my sin. 
Notice he says that in, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. The death and resurrection means I can be totally forgiven. And it's because of the cross. Notice what he says. He says at the end of that verse, having forgiven you all trespasses. All. Now, you have understood and you understand what a trespass is. A trespass, you've seen signs that say no trespassing. That means you've crossed over a border that you're somewhere where you shouldn't be and you have trespassed onto someone's property that you shouldn't. So they put signs up that say no trespassing. We don't want you crossing this boundary. This is ours. In the spiritual sense, when we cross or when we trespass, it means that we cross a line. That means that we think something or say something or do something that displeases God. That we step over the line. God has set his son Jesus as a perfect example for us. He has set up his word as a perfect word for us. And the truth is, is when we look at all of our lives, all of us have thought things, said things, and done things that we knew crossed the line. They didn't necessarily please our mama or our daddy or our spouse or our kids, And we knew that most of all, I displeased God. And because of that, the picture is, is that we deserve to be punished. If I break a law, a just judge is going to punish me. And the truth is, is that Jesus has forgiven us all of our trespass because he goes on to say that the handwriting of requirements of that in verse number 14 He says he's taken all of those and nailed it to the cross. Now notice he says in verse 14, he talks about a handwriting of requirements. The picture is, is that God in heaven could sit up there as a judge and look down upon us and keep a judge's ledger and say, "Uh uh-oh, there's Buddy, lost his patience again. There's a mark. Oh, there's Buddy, he said something. Boom, there's a mark. He's not listening. There's a mark. He is impatient again. There's a mark. There's a mark. There's a mark. There's a mark. He's thought something. There's a mark. There's a mark. God could be up there in heaven and keep a mark on everything that we've ever done wrong in our life. And Jesus, through the cross, he says that he has completely wiped out all that handwriting of requirements. You could put it this way if my, my son is uh, a, an accountant, an accountant's ledger that you would write down every time that someone failed and they had a debt to pay. Up, you owe for this one. You broke the law here, you owe for that one. You said something here, you owe for that one. And the picture is, is that the Lord Jesus has wiped out. In other words, he has brought complete forgiveness for all of those things that, that we have done wrong in our life. Some of you, you, you can't go a day without reliving some of the guilt of things that you've done in your past. You've done something, you've hurt somebody, you've said something, you acted in a way, and you feel like, man, I'm bearing this on my heart every day, and you go to bed at night, and you look up at your ceiling and think, man, why do I keep thinking about this? Why does that, that, that harmful, sinful thing that I've done constantly get fished up in my mind? The picture is, is that all of us are, are faced with these dilemmas in our life that we have all failed that we have all blown it, that we have all sinned. But in verse 14, when he says that he's taken this handwriting of all of these requirements, and he says that they were contrary to us, he's taking them out of the way, and he has nailed them to the cross. In John chapter 19 and verse number 30, Jesus said, it is finished when he was on the cross. It is finished was a term that would have been used in the accounting realm. 
In other words, he would have said, look, the debt for all of your sin, the debt for all the things you've done wrong, the justice that you deserve to pay for all the sins that you've ever committed, Jesus said, I have paid for it. It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said that it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. And because of that, we can now experience forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us through the cross. It was that sacrificial act. And when we look at the cross, we just don't think that Jesus was a good example there. It's not just a picture that God loves us, though it is a picture that God loves us. It is a picture that Jesus had to go to the cross to take the punishment of things that we have done wrong in our life and that he died to pay that penalty. It is finished meant that the debt had been paid in full. You can be forgiven of all trespasses. Now notice that word there because it's important. And let me tell you, in the Greek, that word all means all. (laughs) Okay? So understand when he says you can be forgiven of all of it, you can have all of it wiped away. You can have all of it taken from your life. You can be detached from all of those horrific things and all of those sinful things and all of those bad thoughts and all of those ugly words, and you don't have to bear them anymore. You can take and transfer them to the cross. The picture is you can be forgiven of everything you have ever done wrong in your life because Jesus nailed it to the cross. That's the picture. A few years ago in the city of St. Louis, there was a a fire that broke out in the middle of the night and a young mother, her name was Carla, was there. And as she was there, she uh, quickly realized that all the exits of the house were blocked and she would not get out. So she took her baby and she laid the baby in the bathtub and ran just a little bit of water in the bathtub. And there she just kind of hovered over her baby. And when the firemen found her, They found the baby was alive, but this mother had given her life for her child. She sacrificed her own life to make sure that that baby would live. The picture is, is that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could be forgiven and that we could live. That's the picture. I can be totally forgiven because of the cross. The second truth that we find in this passage is, is, is as we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, that I can be spiritually alive because of the resurrection. Notice what he says in, in verse number 13. He, he says that, that you were dead in your trespasses, and now he has made us alive together with him. That I am alive through him, together with him, that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment, to take my trespasses, the times I stepped out of line. And then he now says, you were dead in that. You were dead, separated from God. And now you can be alive with him. Now, some people try to think, you know what? I can make myself spiritually alive on my own. If I can just go to church enough, read the Bible enough, give enough, teach enough, be nice enough, be kind enough, do enough good things, do spiritual things, if I can just do all this list of things, then I can attain to a place where I have spiritual life and I can go to heaven. And that's not what it says, that we're made alive together with him, that the only way that we're going to experience spiritual life is 
through Jesus because he rose from the dead. That means I recognize the sinfulness of my life and I believe that he died on the cross for me and rose again. Can I tell you today, we're not here on this Sunday commemorating someone who died on the cross for us and that was the end of the story. We're here celebrating the fact that because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, we can now experience life because he is alive. And our life is found in him. Our purpose is found in him. Our hope is found in him. Our peace is found in him. It's not found in anything out there. I was texting with someone recently, and they were asking about, well, I'm thinking about doing this, and I'm thinking about doing this, and I'm thinking about doing this, and I'm thinking about doing this. And I let it sit for a couple days, and I said, I texted back. I said, I've waited to send you this. But let me tell you, you don't need a degree You don't need more stuff. You don't need to buy something. You don't need more work. You need to get right with Jesus. And I will tell you today, there are people all around us who are using shopping as their spiritual medicine to try to to bring a, a, a fulfillment in a heart that spiritually feels empty. And it's only through Jesus, his death on the cross, and the fact that he's alive that we're going to find that. Your job is not going to fill it. Your possessions are not going to fill it. Your education is not going to fill it. Your life, whether it be uh, great piety or great partying, is not going to fill it. The truth is only Jesus is going to fill that for us. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it looked like pretty much the game was over. I mean, you you think the Romans thought, hey, we've crucified hundreds of thousands of people. The Jewish religious leaders thought, we have just squelched another voice we didn't want to hear. And so, Pilate took a Uh, a guard, and he put two guards outside the tomb because people had said Jesus might come back. He had the tomb sealed to make sure that Jesus wouldn't come back. And yet in Matthew chapter 28, as the women come to the the place where Jesus was, and they're wondering, how are we going to roll the stone away to to put more preservative on him so that that his body would have at least a proper burial? And, And they get there, and they find that the rock has been rolled away from the tomb. And and they begin to wonder, and they hear from an angel who says, I know you're seeking Jesus who was crucified. And in Matthew 28, 6, it says... He is not here, for he is risen. Come see the place where he lay. Jesus is alive. And there is a picture that because he is alive, you can experience life. But it only comes through Jesus. I can be forgiven because of the cross, and I can experience spiritual life because of the resurrection. But the third thing that we understand in this is that I can be eternally secure because of Jesus' triumph or victory. Notice what he says in in verse number 15. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers, Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus won. I was uh, 
reliving uh, some of the fun days of past basketball. I don't know if you're watching any of the March Madness, but I've been watching a little bit of it. And there's this Wendy's commercial that they've been playing during March Madness with Reggie Miller in it. Okay, you remember Wendy's now with their breakfast and Reggie Miller, you know, has set up a bed inside the Wendy's and he's staying inside the Wendy's now. And he asked one of the workers, have I ever told you how I scored eight points in nine seconds? And she said, yes, you've told us about that lots of times. Well, the truth is he really did. May the 7th, 1995, the Indiana Pacers were playing the New York Knicks, and the Pacers were down 105 to 99 with 18 seconds left to go in the game. So you think 18 seconds left in the game. I mean, there's a 24-second clock in the NBA. All you got to do is get the ball, dribble around, pass it around, and you win by six points. Indiana gets the ball, and Reggie Miller hits a three-pointer. He then steals the inbound pass, and he hits another three-pointer. So six points. Now the game is tied. I mean, just in a matter of a couple of seconds. Then uh, New York brings the ball in. Someone gets fouled, and New York goes to the free-throw line. The guy misses his shot. Reggie Miller gets the rebound and gets fouled and then sinks two more free-throws. He scores eight points in actually 8.9 seconds. And the unbelievable happens in that the Indiana Pacers beat the New York Knicks 106 to 105. I mean, just an amazing turn of events in that 18 seconds. Now, if you were looking at the odds at that moment with 18 seconds left and a six-point lead, you would think there is no way they're going to score that many points in that fast of time. And here, when we look at the cross, we think Jesus is dead. These Romans were trained assassins. There's no way that he's coming back. We've sealed the door. We've put this hot wax around the door. We've got that stone in place. It's going to be a heavy one. It's going to weigh tons. There's no way that it can get moved. And matter of fact, we're putting guards outside the tomb to make sure that Jesus don't get out. And yet the ladies come to the tomb and the stone is rolled away and Jesus is alive. Now it's interesting in verse number 15, it says that he is disarmed these principalities and powers, and now he has made a public spectacle of them. The picture is, is that when a Roman army would go out to battle and they would come back and win, what they would do is all those folks they had taken captive would march before them. It would really be a march to their death. They would be on parade to be humiliated in front of the other Roman people in the city. It would be a parade where they would walk. All those who lost in the battle, those captives, all of those that were plundered, they're taken and they're on this death march. And there the Roman army would march behind them crying, we are the champions, my friend, you know? And and so the picture is, is that there's this public spectacle. We're humiliating those who beat, uh, who we beat, and we're exalting ourselves and saying, we are the champions. We won. We're the best. We, we've seen this before. Well, sort of this kind of stuff. I mean, we've seen this in St. Louis. We win a World Series 
They drive the team by in convertibles and the people line up the streets and everyone waves and everyone's excited and they, they cry out, we're number one. We do this with the Stanley Cup, with the Blues one. We do this and the NFL, Tampa Bay just won the Super Bowl. They do this. They have this parade. It's a victory parade. And here the picture is, is that Jesus has a victory parade and he takes the enemy which he has disarmed, those evil powers, those principalities, those demons and the devil himself, and he puts them on display and says, I have won. You thought you could kill me. You thought you could hold me in the grave, but you can't. I'm alive. And that's the picture. And so Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 now says, behold, I am alive. I was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of Hades and death. I win. That's the picture. And because he wins, we win with him. But the truth is, we've got to choose whose side we're going to be on. We have to decide. Jesus triumphed. We have to decide, am I going to follow him? and experience forgiveness and victory. So, as we think about what does that mean, for us it means this. I can experience and know that I'm forgiven of sin. I can experience and know that I'm going to go to heaven. I can experience and know that my eternity is already secure. But some people think, well, buddy, you know, how can anybody really know whether they're going to go to heaven or not? How can anybody really know? I mean, you know, I've talked to people who said, you know, at the moment of death, that's when I'm going to find out if I'm going to go to heaven or hell. And I say, that's not how it has to be. Look at 1 John 5, 13, the verses on the board. It says that these things I have written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. And then notice what he says, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have it. Eternal life doesn't have to be a mystery. It doesn't have to be a question mark. It can have an exclamation point and say, I know. And you can know today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can know today. If you don't know you've been forgiven of sin, you can know today. If you don't know that you're going to live in heaven forever with him, you can know today. There's two key words in this verse. The word believe, these things I've written to you who believe. And notice he says that you may continue to believe. The word believe. And then he says that you may know. Believing and knowing come together. In Acts 16, 31, Paul and Barnabas would share with the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But you're here today, so, I mean, you, you believe in God, sure. Yeah, that's why you're here in church. You believe that there's a God. You believe that Jesus, you believe that Jesus maybe even rose from the dead. Kind of like that stool. I believe it'll hold me up. But I really show my faith when I say I'm placing all of my weight on it to say I fully entrust and believe. And this is what it means to trust Jesus. It means this. I put all of who I am upon the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sin 
and rose again. And that he is the only way of forgiveness and eternal life. And when I place my trust in him alone, then I can know that I have eternal life. So let me ask you today, what about you? Do you know that you've been forgiven of sin? Do you know that you're spiritually alive? Are you certain that you're going to heaven? You can know. The Bible in 1 John 5, 13 says you can know. And here's how you know. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have to call and say, Lord, I know I've sinned. I've thought things, said things, done things, and I don't deserve to enter into a perfect heaven with a perfect God. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for all my sin. And I ask for forgiveness for that sin. And Jesus, I believe you rose again from the dead. Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. I trust you alone. I commit my life to you. Have you made that decision in your life? Listen, there is no greater decision. I told someone after first hour today, people who walk out of a service like this and reject Jesus will never have an excuse before him that they didn't hear the truth. I want to ask you today, Do you know that you know that you have eternal life?